The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. How is climate change affecting our civil engineering projects and what do we need to know about it when we're going through the design process? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I will be talking with Emery Lee. Emery is a planner by background, but she's now a climate adaptation and resilience lead for Ramble Group in New York. She has many credentials, which we'll list in her bio. We'll be talking to her about climate adaptation and resilience in civil engineering And we're also going to touch on some of the potential job roles or opportunities that there are within climate adaptation. A really interesting episode. And again, another chance for our listeners to become a little bit more knowledgeable in a topic that may provide value to their projects and for your clients as well. Before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors do help us keep it free. So I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their course comes with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, and more. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPI's instructors are very highly rated on student surveys. They are extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. I also want to mention that we are growing at EMI and we are looking for an operations manager. If you're an engineer and maybe you want to change your career path a little bit, instead of doing engineering, you want to help engineers and their firms grow, come work with us at EMI. We've got a great team, a very diverse team. We've got some great benefit packages here. And really, you're going to be able to help engineers and their firms grow whether it's through helping us with our corporate training efforts, our content development, some of the consulting work we do. We are looking for an operations manager. And if you're interested, you could visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Click on the contact button. You'll find a link for the job listing there. If you don't find the link, you can simply put a contact through the form and we will send it to you. Again, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. With that, let's jump into today's episode. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome on our guest for today. Emery Lee is the Climate Adaptation and Resilience Lead for Ramble Group in New York. Emery, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. This is certainly a a topic that I think our listeners are going to be excited to learn about. So just to get us going here, in your own words, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do in general on a daily basis. My name is Emery Lee, and I'm a climate adaptation and resilience lead in New York, working for Ramble Group. I'm working for a global engineering and infrastructure consultancy headquartered in Denmark, but, you know, operating around the world. 
they're growing a pretty robust practice in the Americas. And I'm fortunate in the sense that the work that keeps me very busy is all related to sort of how can clients, whether that's public sector clients or private sector clients, adapt, retool, retrofit, and or build from new, more resilient, adaptive infrastructure or assets. It really is about thinking about the impacts of climate change on our built environment every day, which can be stressful at times. It creates a little anxiety, I'm not going to lie, but I'm working constantly with interdisciplinary teams surrounded by engineers. I'm actually an urban planner myself, but spent my entire career working with engineers hand in glove, as they say, or hand in hand. So yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting. That's great. It does sound like an exciting topic. So for our listeners not too familiar with this area, what is climate adaptation and resilience? The first thing that I think of before I go into definitions of climate adaptation and and resilience is I always have the thought there is no planet B. And the company that I work for, it's a philosophy that everyone in the company kind of understands and adopts universally. I think about my own personal mission, which is to sort of create cities, places that are more livable, resilient, and better prepared for climate change, because that's our new reality. We're experiencing climate change currently. It's, It's not something that's coming in the future. It's happening now. Formally speaking, you know, if I were to define climate adaptation, it's, you know, involves assessing the effects of climate change on the safety, health, and welfare of our societies and populations. And then how does that translate to being able to, from a resilience perspective, a capacity recover quickly from difficulties or challenges posed by sort of the impacts of climate change and, you know, specifically climate resilience is sort of, I think, the capability of anticipating, preparing for, and responding to hazardous events and disturbances caused by climate change. There's a causal relationship, ultimately, too, between climate adaptation and resilience. So your ability or inability to adapt will have a direct impact on capacity you have to you, an organization, a government, to be more resilient in the face of climate change. Your job and your company's role is to help your clients to adapt to this climate change and be resilient, be proactive, resilient with their projects to be able to adapt to it and the needs, which is awesome. So how do climate adaptation and resilience then connect to civil engineering projects? If you could speak on that a little bit. When I think about climate adaptation and resilience in the context of the world that civil engineers operate in, it's infrastructure, the built environment, public works, things outside the building envelope, underground, right, along the the edges of our land. And also, you know, sort of everything that goes into supporting a lot of the critical services that we all enjoy, like roads and sidewalks and fresh water, energy, things of that nature, buildings that we can go inside. And all those things are vulnerable to, you know, a more volatile and changing climate. I mean, A lot of the, again, infrastructure and the the stuff that I just described has longer useful lives, useful lifetime horizons. So, I mean, infrastructure built 50 plus years ago, maybe nearing the end of its useful life. So thinking about the design criteria used at the time to sort of build what we have now, sort of our bridges, roadways, roadways, major infrastructure systems and networks is particularly vulnerable to the, the climate conditions we have today and will have in the future. 
it's about planners and engineers and design professionals have a critical role to play in ensuring that our societies function properly in that way with respect to how we operate day to day. Civil engineers can have a major influence on the extent to which the infrastructure that's either reaching the end of its useful life and or that will depend on through the next 50 plus years to the end of the century and beyond, the extent to which that infrastructure can withstand and or recover from climate-related stressors. And just so I can understand a little bit more and, and help our listeners understand, again, kind of like your role, for example, on like a civil or an infrastructure project, if a civil engineer is working on an infrastructure project, let's just say, and they do not have a climate adaptation or resilient consultant or professional working with them, is that where someone like you would come in potentially and be called in to take a look at the project and help them to understand what the potential climate adaptation risks are on it and how they can think about that in the planning stages and design stages and the long-term maintenance stages of a project? Absolutely. That's definitely one scenario. You know, I mean, we sometimes get asked to partner by other engineering firms. When I say we, Ramble, so therefore me um, as, a, as an employee of, of Ramble, you know, we often get added to a project team or a project for our firm's particular expertise in the ways in which traditional infrastructure project or civil engineering project could be modified or tailored to increase resilience. What Ramble can offer and, and someone like me, the team that I oversee can offer is sort of access to the climate science, climate data. We often perform climate risk assessments, which are quantitative assessments of vulnerability, likelihood of events happening, consequences of those events, and then the calculated risk associated with a particular climate hazard. And so being able to do that sort of evaluation and put next to sort of civil engineers who have this sort of technical design criteria and that understanding of, okay, you know, like we need certain loads, we need to have certain design to a certain elevation. And there's lots of considerations and depends on the scope of a given civil engineering project, but we're certainly working side by side with engineers. And, and it may be also recommending that a certain accreditation standard uh, be pursued, whether that's envision or whether it's, if it's a waterfront project, there's a the wedge certification, which has grown out of New York here, but I think they're actually starting to certify projects nationwide. I don't know if you've heard of the wedge certification before, but it's a waterfront edge design guideline. So more of a focus on coastal resilience and, and coastal engineering projects. But um, certainly we're called in to sort of like say, if there weren't any considerations for adaptation or resilience on the table yet, you know, ideally we're coming in early on in the project phasing. The ideal scenario, I guess, would also be that a client approaches us and or a group of firms to say, we have a big project here. We have climate change in mind. Can you help us scope this out? We're responding to a lot of RFEIs lately, so requests for expressions of interest. And the clients are, I think, trying to lean on the industry a bit more, it seems. I'm just noticing this trend to sort of say, help us scope the projects so that we have climate adaptation and resilience baked in to sort of what then becomes a design solicitation or procurement. Would you say that there are specific projects that would more common require your expertise, like obviously like coastal or waterfront, if I'm a civil engineer and I'm working on projects, or is it not necessarily limited to projects like that? 
I particularly work in, you know, the New York metropolitan area. So this market geography in the last decade, there's been a tremendous focus on coastal. And I mean, if you're on the East coast of the United States as well, like down to the Gulf, every hurricane season, I mean, we've had over the last 10 years, several extremely damaging catastrophic storms. From a federal funding standpoint, too, there's been a lot of investment from FEMA, from HUD in sort of repair and recovery from sort of coastal driven climate events. And we're also starting to notice more of a focus on just extreme weather in general. So whether it's extreme precipitation, you're familiar with this term, Anthony, but it's something that we at Rambo work a lot in. And then I'm hearing more and more are sort of like pluvial flooding events. So bursts is sort of the term that has arisen very heavy extreme rainfall in a very short amount of time, so short duration rainfall events. We had one of those in New York City last year at the end of the summer that was pretty devastating. Um, There was loss of life, tremendous millions of dollars of damage statewide. So it really took a toll. So we are starting to understand that it's not just about coastal storms, but there are also other climate hazards that require serious consideration. The point of these questions is, you know, one of our goals with the show is to make sure that civil engineering professionals can be as well-rounded as possible. So if there's something that they can take out of the episode, maybe that's a red flag for them to say, hey, maybe we need to get a climate adaptation resilience professional involved on this project. They can go to their client and express, it'd be good to have a conversation with someone with that expertise. I think it can just help them to bring more value to their clients potentially. And there's a potential, obviously, with some of the funding coming down the way that there can be quite a few number of infrastructure projects across the U.S. here in the next few years and beyond. So definitely one of the reasons here that we were talking with Emery on these points. So Emery, what are some of the key points would you say that civil engineers should know about climate adaptation and resilient infrastructure? At the risk of oversimplifying, I mean, maybe there are many design and sort of practicing engineering professionals that are already aware of this or have that awareness. But for those who might not, my sort of one of the key takeaways, key points is that climate adaptive design, or sometimes you hear climate adjusted design criteria, they should be the standard design criteria now and moving forward. It's going to be, you know, design criteria and climate adaptive design standards. And if you want to zoom out and just call it an overall approach to design and engineering, I mean, it's going to be iterative. You know, we have science, we have climate projections out to 2050, 2080, you know, now that informs a lot of the work that we do with our clients. But again, it's going to be something that needs to be revisited over and over again. And that's just part of the diligence, right? That's just part of the ensuring preparedness and adaptation. It's constant change, evolution, essentially. And so Another key point I would say is that, and this sort of is maybe reiterating what I just said, but it is a necessity. I don't see it anymore as like a, a nice to have kind of thing or a value add or a like an adult. It's a must. And that's why, again, I think my previous point about clients reaching out and sort of approaching procurement processes and purchasing processes differently in how they scope their engineering jobs now is like they are sort of testing the waters with the industry gathering knowledge from the industry and then sort of weaving it into their scopes that ultimately become, you know, an RFP or a design build or something like that. It definitely really needs to be the standard way we do things. It's absolutely necessary. And I think I said this before, so I don't want to be too repetitive, but I do think the engineering discipline can lead the way in sort of championing climate adaptive design, advocating for resilient infrastructure being the baseline 
for how we approach our infrastructure and design jobs. I would hope that some of the larger companies or the larger projects out there today do have processes in place where climate adaptation is just one of the things on their kind of checklist that they have to go through on every project. Like you said, it's not just an extra. It's something that's a standard thing that we consider. We can only hope that that's the case. And obviously, hopefully by having Emory on the podcast here, we can bring some more attention to it for those of you out there that maybe don't have that yet. Emory, let's talk a little bit about potential jobs or roles within climate adaptation. And one of the things I always like to mention on the podcast is I feel like there are so many opportunities in the world of engineering that there are just new jobs kind of popping up in a sense every day. And we don't always know what all the potential roles or potential job opportunities are out there. Can you speak to what some of them might be in the world of climate adaptation? There are more jobs in this field now than ever before. For me, uh, joining a, a firm like Ramble which is, you know, it's global, 6,000 employees. It was very eye-opening to me to see just the types of roles that are open and available to engineers, It's whether it's civil engineers or water resource engineers, environmental engineers. I've come from a background of working in a market geography and for engineering firms that worked on a lot of very heavy civil jobs. I don't want to use the word traditional, but just sort of, um, I'll say traditional jobs typologies of infrastructure projects. And, you know, I'm starting to see more and more now people with job titles like climate adaptation engineer or climate adaptation specialist. I work with a lot of folks who've built careers in civil engineering, water resources, engineering, environmental engineering, but a lot of them are now working mostly on adaptive infrastructure, integrated infrastructure projects, So they're leveraging their very extensive careers. I mean, some of these, my colleagues are 30, 35 plus years in the field and are now working on designs for resilient infrastructure jobs that are pretty large. The types of roles do require a base of knowledge in sort of a traditional engineering discipline, but through training, education, and just sort of on the job exposure, there's this sort of, I don't want to say transformation, I have seen, you know, many colleagues sort of go through this transformation of having a whole other knowledge and skill set that's driven by the need for climate adaptation and resilient infrastructure work. That's been great to see. And, you know, companies like ours um, and then the companies that, you know, work in the same space as we do are really looking to hire folks who have an interest in that field, I guess. Is there any additional education or any other advice that you have for someone who maybe is in the engineering world and wants to get more into climate adaptation and resilience? Is there training programs? Is there maybe advanced degrees that you're aware of? Just wondering if someone's like, oh, this sounds interesting to me. I may want to explore this more. If there's anything else you can share with them. I'm definitely aware of uh, some training and sort of continuing education, executive education resources. I mean, if you're in the United States, I know the ASCE offers that. If you have the opportunity to go back to school um, in a more formal way, there are higher ed degrees. I mean, I mean, I know that um, the Yale School of Environment has a particular master's with a focus on, it's, it's actually like climate infrastructure and engineering. Columbia University has their new sort of climate program, their sort of climate university I mean, I have several colleagues who have availed themselves of those types of resources. As far as sort of advice goes, seeking out those resources for sure. I mean, that can only give you a leg up if you're looking to work 
sort of in the, the climate adaptation space, but also just thinking about interdisciplinary collaboration, the types of projects you might be working on or involved in if you work for a firm or you work for city government or a governmental authority, looking into other either business units or arms of your organization and say, you know, is anyone working on this sort of thing? And being able to sort of vocalize that you are interested in working in resilient infrastructure and adaptation. I mean, that's, I would certainly encourage that because all of the teams and projects that I touch are interdisciplinary by nature. You can't work in silos. You need everybody. I think an important thing for everyone in their careers is to, of course, work on things that they're passionate about, things that they enjoy working on. But I do certainly feel that someone with a civil engineering background, if you can add some education, certification, knowledge around climate adaptation and resilience, it can certainly be a a great combination for you in terms of, again, serving your clients, making sure your projects are addressing climate change, which we all know is a real issue. I appreciate all the information that Emery has shared here. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to put Emery on the civil engineering hot seat and wrap up with a couple of few career-related questions. So we'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment, but before we dive in, I would like to recognize our other sponsor for today's episode, Menard USA. Do you have projects where you are faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all the good sites are taken and you're always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Menard may be able to help. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites with problematic soils. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, platforms, and more. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches such as removal and replacement or piling systems. Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs for wide ranges of soil conditions, structure types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard USA or for help on your next project, please visit MenardUSA.com. That's www.MenardUSA.com. We are back with Emery Lee. Emery is a climate adaptation and resilience lead for Ramble Group in New York. We had a great conversation around climate adaptation and resilience and how it fits into civil engineering projects and how Emery works on some of those types of projects and assists in some of these projects. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to switch it up a little bit. Emery, we're going to ask you a couple of last career-related questions. You ready to go? Yeah. All right. So first question, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it's a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? I try every day to connect with nature in some form, whether that's through mostly through jogging, running outside, walking. If I'm not up for the jog, to me, it's very important to do that. You know, I focus on the natural environment, climate Part of what I didn't necessarily mention this before, but part of the approach for climate adaptation and resilient infrastructure that I'm really passionate about is nature-based solutions and nature-based approaches to addressing the concerns we have around our infrastructure and you know the impacts of climate change. So I don't know if it's just a reminder to me of my mission of trying to advance that approach, but if I don't get outside early in some way, I definitely notice it. 
you mentioned consistently on a daily basis. I mean, I live on the East Coast, so it's not something I get to do every single day, but I often surf very early in the morning. So being able to get out and do that early surf session is also something that kind of helps keep me motivated and refreshed. Is there one book that you might recommend that you found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development? It could be climate related, could not be. Is there just something that stands out for you? Hey, I read this book and it was really helpful for me. It's actually a book of essays. And there's one particular essay that really stuck with me. Uh, I mean, I read the whole book of essays. It's book of essays is called The Art of the Commonplace, Agrarian Essays by Wendell Berry. And Wendell Berry is from Kentucky, actually. And I, strangely, and the little known fact about myself, I was actually born in Kentucky, but grew up in sort of the Cincinnati metropolitan area. So I don't know, maybe it's that like Midwestern slash like, you know, Kentucky connection there that resonated. But he's also a particularly eloquent writer. And he has an essay called A Native Hill. For me, when the first time I read it, I just, it was so powerful, so impactful, talks about the power of place and humans' concern or lack thereof for places and then how we treat them and thinking about the future. And so for me, it just really sparked, I guess, an interest in thinking about the future in the way that we build things and, and yeah, thinking about the natural world. It's very important to me that we, as a human race, I guess, consider how we can better integrate our built environment with the natural realm. I just think that integration is very critical to how we exist or continue to exist here on this planet. And so, yeah, that for me, reading A Native Hill was like very formative in that sort of my understanding of that. So thinking back on your managers of the past, and you don't, we're not asking you to name specific names, but if you think of your favorite manager or managers, what is it that made them your favorite? Just trying to think about in our world of you know infrastructure, engineering, what are some of the characteristics that great managers typically exhibit? I would start with you know a genuine passion for the work that uh, they're doing and that or I'm doing and the team is doing. I mean, seeing a passion and an energy in a manager or supervisor is really important to you know motivating staff, and it definitely was important for me in terms of my own motivation. Also, just a level level headed. I don't know if I can say that, but even keel, just demeanor and approach to things. I mean, I, I think I'm not saying emotionless because passion somehow also does involve like a certain degree of emotion uh, showing, but I think just in terms of being very like stable and consistent has been a feature that I've really appreciated in my past managers. Two other things I would say is just a manager that's recognized my unique value and acted as my ally and advocate in sort of the workplace has been helpful. I mean, I've been involved with managers. You know, we've been a small team trying to do something very big. My favorite manager, I've had a few favorites, have really been able to understand where I can add the most value and then also have been able to sort of help me accomplish what I'm seeking to accomplish instead of just saying like, hey, you're on your own. Good luck. That's how I would respond to that question. All right. Last question. You've worked with a number of civil engineering professionals throughout your career. I know that. If you happen to get into an elevator with a younger civil engineering professional and you had maybe 30 to 40 seconds with that person, what advice would you give them, career advice, based on your career so far and your work in this field? 
first and foremost, pay it forward in every way you can, whether that's through mentoring others, volunteering your time, giving free advice, making connections or introductions to people that I cannot underscore the importance of that, of paying it forward and networking. Networking's not for everyone. <laughs> I realize that I'm an introvert. I find it challenging, but it really does dividends. I mean, it just is exponentially valuable, um, pays back many, many times over just investing that energy and networking, connecting with people, reaching out. I know it might feel hard for some to take that first step, but once you break that threshold and you kind of start to do it, it gets easier. And then in a way it becomes self-sustaining because you have that network. People reach out to you. You can leverage that network in certain ways. So yeah, paying it forward, networking, and think about building your own personal brand. We could go on forever about what that means, but I boil it down to what makes you unique as a professional or as an engineering professional. You know, make sure you understand what you're passionate about. Emery Lee, Climate Adaptation and Resilience Lead for Ramble Group in New York. I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. This was great. Very much appreciate it. And I'm open to any follow-up questions uh, if any listeners write in after the episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emery today. Again, always trying to help civil engineering professionals be as well-rounded as possible. And I think learning a little bit about climate adaptation and resilience and how you can incorporate it to your projects is critical in the world we live in today. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And please remember we are looking for an operations manager at EMI. If you're interested in maybe changing your career path a little bit, and instead of doing engineering, maybe helping engineers and their firms grow, consider checking out our job posting at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Click on the Contact Us button, and you'll find a link there. If you don't find it, you can simply put in an entry through the form that you're interested in the position, and we will get back to you. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.